You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Um, and, uh, you know, I often talk about the benefits of going verse by verse through the Bible and uh, all that, but one of the things that becomes challenging is I've honestly been excited about this message because it's something that needs to be taught on. Um, but uh, but the, the closer it started getting to 7 o'clock, I just, one of the things I always think about when I come to church is I think of, uh, that there's going to be hurting people in church. Uh, if, you're, if you're ever preaching or teaching, uh, you know, they, they say, uh, pre- preach a message. If you preach to hurting people, you'll never want for an audience. There'll always be people to preach to. People are hurting people. People are struggling throughout the week, uh, these different things. And so uh, I love being able to come in and, uh, you know, address those needs, and uh, but you know, but but this message tonight is not one of those messages. I don't believe uh, you never know how God can work. Uh, but then I started seeing guests and stuff coming in tonight, and I'm just like, Lord, are you sure this is what I should be preaching tonight? Um, and I couldn't get any peace to go any other direction, so we're just going to kind of have a Bible study and go in here in First Thessalonians. Uh, and I want to read to start with First Thessalonians five verses twelve and thirteen, where the Bible says. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, last week we began to look at the importance of the local church in regards to the last days. Really, Sunday's message had a lot to do with that. You know, we're preaching about the abundant life and that being the the mission of our church. It was the mission of Jesus Christ to offer life and that more abundantly. And that's the theme of our year is life abundant. But it's also really the theme of our church because we want to see people come to uh, eternal life in Christ, saving faith in Christ. And then this whole thing is a process after that. It's not just like, okay, now just come park, park, you know, park your rear end on the seats and show up and put some money in the plate and you know, check the box and go about your day. It's like, no, this is, it's, it's, a, it's a continual process of growth and abundance uh, that God has for our lives. He wants us to grow uh, personally. He wants us to become stronger in the individuals that he'd have us to be. He wants us to become stronger in our marriages and our relationships and uh, professionally, just right on down the line. I mean, uh, you know, all that the Bible has to say about finances. God wants us to be uh, wise and and follow biblical principles regarding money and so forth. I mean, there's just so many ways that God wants us to be able to live with joy and peace and, and, and knowing who we are, accepting who we are. And, and the local church is just such a huge part of that, the serving that we do throughout the church. Um, so today, we, so we was looking at that last week. Today, our, our focus is going to, the lens is going to tighten a bit and focus on the relationship between the pastor and the church. And I know just people have been thinking all week, that's really what I need from the Lord tonight. But the Lord knows, amen, because I'm going to teach the Word of God. And it's kind of one of those things to where you, the, the job of the pastor, the job of the shepherd is to feed the, the flock, right? And it's just like eating at home. You don't always, uh, it's not always candy, is it? I meant to get the candy up. It's not always the sweets. Sometimes it's uh, some of the things that may not seem quite as enjoyable. But, but hopefully you'll learn, uh, enjoy learning about some of these things tonight. And for us, this is, the, the timing of this is really good as well, because we are going to be updating our bylaws, uh, so this message is getting more and more exciting, 
uh, we're going to be updating our bylaws to uh, coincide with the principles under which we've been operating since the summer of 2011 when we started. You know, we've been operating a certain way for the last, and it's just updating our bylaws just so that those are, uh, again, saying the same thing. Since the start of Elk Point Baptist Church, we've endeavored to operate through both clear instruction and sound New Testament principles. So when we're talking about, you know, working on uh, bylaws, it's like, well, why are we changing stuff? We're not changing. We're not fundamentally changing anything. Uh, There's not a fundamental change that we're talking about in regards to this, but it is just a defining, and here's here's the terminology that I want you to think about when it comes to working on the bylaws. We're defining and refining what we've already been doing. That's it. Because somebody says, well, what we've been doing is working. Why don't we keep doing it? We are. But we're going to define it and refine it. And that's what you're going to see uh, in this coming year. And again, this message affords the opportunity to teach about one of those topics that are, that are covered, that, that really I haven't taught extensively on. And so, But I want to take advantage of this passage to teach on it. But boy, hasn't God been good to our church? Hasn't God been good to us? And, and, and so when we think about the, the New Testament church, one of the things that we question in regards to the, the way the church works is, um, you know, leadership. Uh, how are decisions made? How are decisions made within the church? If you're around here, that's generally pretty obvious. We uh, discuss it among ourselves. You, you see that on a, on a regular basis. The, we, we, have a meet, we have meetings from time to time where votes are taking taken. Uh, One of the big things to understand when it comes to voices and uh, who we want to hear from in the church, uh, voices are equal, right? Uh, I mean, we we don't, there's not some people that are on different levels when it comes to that stuff. Every vote is the same, Um, you know, regardless of uh, if it's it's a widow giving five dollars or if it's somebody that's given fifty thousand dollars, doesn't matter. Uh, when it comes to it, if it's somebody with uh, with so many degrees after their name, they look like a thermometer, or if it's me, uh, we all have the opportunity uh, to to because we all have the spirit of God if we're saved, and so we're all a part of the body of Christ. And so, uh, and and I'll say more about that in a minute. I'm getting off script here, and I don't think it's actually going to be helping me this time. Uh, but but the big question even comes down to what about the final decision? How does that usually work out? And once again, the way that normally works out is it just is us among ourselves talking it out and, and getting peace about the next steps, and, and the Lord's allowed us to uh, operate that way for the last 11 years, and God's really blessed in that. But we don't really have a lot of those processes down on paper, and so I'll probably allude to some of those tonight. It's the things that we do, uh, but why do we do it the way that we do it, and having it down as a process. Um, which again, that's where the exciting stuff comes in. But the good thing, the good news is, is that God has not left us in the dark on how to operate. He's not left it up to man to figure it out. It's definitive in his word. Now, there's certain gaps that we have uh, liberty to fill in uh, using biblical principles, sound biblical principles. So in other words, um, what does the Bible say about when and how many services you ought to have a week? What's the chapter and verse for that one, you know? Uh, how, many, how often you should have a business meeting or, 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 or your budget? Where do you find the chapter and verse for that stuff? Uh, 
uh, you know, groups, teams to serve on, groups to grow into, all these things. Well, we, we don't find chapter and verse on those things, uh, but we use biblical principles to help guide us in those things. But, uh, but let's, let's take a couple opportunity, uh, opportunity to mention a couple things, a couple of distinctions of a New Testament church. Now, the, these are actually very, very important and something I actually am excited to talk to you about, just, even if it's just briefly. One of those is the sole, S-O-L-E, sole authority of Scripture. How do we operate as a church? What do we base what we believe on? What do we base how we operate on? The Bible. That's it. Uh, well, what does your founder say about it? Look in the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Um, we, that, that, the, the fact, Jesus is the founder of the church, right? Uh, there's, it's no other man, and there's not been some man appointed on earth to be the guy now, and there's been no one that's written up a... Um, word, anybody that's written anything up that's adding to the Word of God or taking away from the Word of God, we don't use that stuff. And, and really, one of the things that sets a Bible-preaching church apart from so many other churches. I've had people ask me, so what's the difference between your church and our church? And, I just, and, I, and, and with not trying to be kind of any condescending in any kind of way, but just the honest answer is, it's like, well, we just operate according to the New Testament. We don't go back to, you know, whether it's Luther or whether it's uh, the Wesleys or whether it's uh, Constantine. Uh, we don't go back to those guys and say, okay, how do we operate, guys? We don't do that. We just go to the Bible. And so we don't, have, we don't have another catechism. And again, uh, many great things we could say about Luther and whatever, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the thing that I am saying is that we don't have another book that we say, well, we have the Bible, and we have this writing from this guy, and then we have another prophet. We don't do that. We operate based on the sole authority of Scripture for faith and practice, okay? Now, there's also another side, but so there's, there's the, there's the churches that have the Bible and. They operate on the Bible and something else. And then my question is always, and some of those things wouldn't be so bad until you say, ask the question, what do you do when those two contradict? You know, and, 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 and again, I'm, I realize already that I'm uh, doing like I always do and getting off, but... Uh, for instance, what does the Bible say? I, I actually have, on the, on the other side of this, I have what the, everything the Bible says about infant baptism. All right? And you can copy it off and print it afterwards, okay? Uh, or you can take notes now and just write it down. Everything it says on infant baptism, you'll find it right there. Uh, nothing. Well, it's got to be in there. Why do so many churches do it? Tradition. At some point, around 300 is when Constantine began to teach, you know, baptism for salvation. And so as a result of that, you know, the, 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 whole, uh, the whole Roman army was baptized in the whole thing. And so they, they baptized, they began to baptize. Well, then this teaching began to come in and saying, well, in order to be a Christian, because here's what Jesus said, believe and be baptized. The, the Ethiopian eunuch... Uh, asked the question in the book of Acts chapter number 8, he says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? I, I'd like to be baptized. I see people getting baptized. I'd like to be baptized. And Anna, the, the answer to the question was, if thou believest, with all thine heart thou mayest. If thou believest, thou mayest. 
So what is the requirement? Well, you've got to believe first. But so, so salvation, you do, not get, you do not get saved because you're baptized, and baptism doesn't save you. You get baptized because you trust Christ as Savior. And that's a sim, it's, a, it's an outward symbol, it's an act of obedience. And, and, and listen, I know I'm sitting here talking to a room full of people that, that just about every one of you were baptized as an infant, okay? And I'm not picking on you, and I'm not picking on anybody about that. But I'm just, it just makes, kind of begs the question, well, where did that start? It's just tradition. And it began to be taught, well, baptism is, is what, that, that, that's salvation. Or the first step, you've got to get baptized first. And many of you know this, right? Uh, how many of you have had loved ones to where, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. This won't be the case in Stephanie and Danny's situation. But I've, I've known so many people who are first-generation Christians uh, that they have a baby. Well, you're going to have him baptized, aren't you? Oh, well, no, no, we, we're, we're not. And, and depending on the generation now, People that would be like my parents' age, it's changing a little bit, people's views. But I'm talking, you talk about hitting the roof. And there's a good reason why. You're putting that child's soul at risk. I would be mad too. I'd be upset too. You're putting their whole soul at risk. What if they die? There's no guarantee of heaven for them. Based on what? Uh... The, the church has taught it for years. But the Bible don't teach it. Again, I'm not picking on nobody. I'm just telling you. I'm just speaking the truth here. Uh, so the Bible being the sole authority, where does it come from? It just comes from, at first, it was adults getting saved because that's what they were doing for the first 300 years of the church. So adults were getting saved. They eventually started saying, well, baptism is what saves you. That's what washes your sins away. It does no such thing. The Bible never teaches that. Um, but they started teaching that. So, well, if, it's, if that's what washes our sins away, let's go ahead and get her done right away. Right? Um, and, so by, and then, uh, interestingly enough, I uh, almost felt like I'm stalling not to deal with the other stuff, to be honest with you, but it's good stuff to know. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, when, when they first started baptizing infants, they actually baptized infants. And they thought the only way your sins could be washed away is if you baptized the infants. He said, okay, I get it. Well, no. After a while, they quit baptizing the infants. If you go by the true meaning of the word. Because the meaning of the word literally means to immerse. That's what it means. But there started, when, when they were really putting the kids under the water, there actually became, be, there were some babies, as you might imagine, drownings became rather common. So, the church decides, well, okay, that saves, but we need to find a different way that saves. Let's just pour it on their heads instead. And that way they don't drown and still the sins are washed away, at least the ones on top of their head or whatever, you know. And I, I'm being a little facetious here. And so, and, and again, I, I want to be, be careful understanding that there may be people listening that have never heard anything like this before and just like, how dare you talk about, uh, negatively about infant baptism? I, I'm just telling you where its origins are coming from. So then I come back to this. All right, the whole point is the sole authority of Scripture. So then the question comes in of, okay, tradition has taught this over the years. And that's fine. That's what tradition teaches. It's tradition. Take it as tradition, whatever. But what do you do when tradition and the Bible are saying two different things? What do you do then? 
Well, if you want to stay in good standing with the church, guess what you do? You go through tradition over the Bible. Uh, and again, that's just an extreme example. Uh, but, but the sole authority of Scripture. Now, there's another example because we talk about somebody having a written down catechism or tradition, but there's also another thing that we deal with quite a bit also that's a little bit different. And it's those that the sole authority is not Scripture, and the sole authority is not another written down source necessarily, but their, their other authority, excuse me, their other authority is experience. And you'll find this more among the charismatic movement and things like that. Uh... Well, I know the Bible says this, but I had this experience. Oh, okay. Or, I know the Bible says this, but the Spirit of God spoke to me. Did it? Are you sure? Because there may have been a spirit speaking. The Bible says, believe not every spirit. And... and, and, and furthermore, before he says, believe not every spirit, in 1 John chapter 4, I believe it's verse 1, he says, beloved. Interesting, right? He's not even talking to unsaved people right there. He's talking to the saved people in the church. Don't believe every spirit you hear. There's a lot of evil spirits out there that will speak contrary to the Word of God. Uh, the Bible actually warns that Satan, is he, Satan as a messenger is transformed into an angel of light. Satan does not come with the horns and the tail and the whole thing. And the pitchfork, he appears beautifully. He appears in a tempting way. It looks good what he's offering, what he's selling, what have you. But here's what the Bible says. This is in 2 Corinthians, uh, is this 11? 2 Corinthians 11. But it says that, 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 that it's no wonder, it's no marvel that his angels, that Satan's angels, which is to say Satan's demons, what we'd call demons, also appear as angels of light. Uh, Paul said in Galatians, he said, if any man or an angel from heaven come preach another gospel than what you've received in the New Testament, he said, let them be accursed. And he repeats that there in Galatians chapter number 1. The simple point being, there's some people who will say, in spite of God's Word having a very clear teaching, they will say, yeah, but I really felt led. So I did this, and I made this decision. Yeah, but the Bible says, yeah, but the Spirit of God spoke to me. Well, here's the problem. The Spirit of God is the one who gave us the Word of God. And the Spirit of God gave us this everlasting Word, and if you've got a Spirit telling you something contrary to what the Word of God says, then it's not the Holy Spirit. Period. I don't care what it is. I don't care how good it sounds. If it's contrary to what God's Word says, it's a lie. And there's another point to be made there as well. How about this one? That you don't need a voice if you got a verse. How about that one? Because sometimes people sit around and say, well, you know, I would do this if God was just to speak to my heart about it. He already did. He just said it. You don't need a voice when you got a verse. You know, I, one of the things I think of, and, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm excited. There's many of us, and if you'd like to jump on board and jump in with this, I, I'd, I'd invite you to do so. There's some of us for the next uh, over, over 60 days now, we're still going to be studying the Psalms. And we're going to be studying, and the idea is I'm seeing where it goes, but I started studying the Psalms because I just wanted to, I wanted to just get back to, to where my heart 
open the day with praise and, and worshiping, glorifying God. We, we lift up and magnify the wrong things way too often, including the work that I want to do for God. But I don't need to do that first. I need to magnify the Lord first of all. So, so I'm getting into the Psalms with that. But, but a great example of that is when it comes to praising the Lord. How many people sit around and be like, well, you know, if, if the Spirit moves on me, I'll, I'll praise Him. If, he's, if, if, if the Spirit speaks to me, I'll praise Him. Well, don't read Psalms. Because the Spirit's going to speak to you about 150 times and He's going to tell you, praise me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't feel like it. Don't matter. Do it anyway. <laughs> God says to do it. You don't need a voice when you've got a verse. So one of, the, one of the things that we do have to lay down here at the start is one of the key distinctive of a Bible preaching church is the Bible is the S-O-L-E, sole authority for faith and practice. That's what we have. That's what we believe. That's what we go on. And that's why we spend so much time teaching it and preaching it. And furthermore, it's one of the reasons that uh, it's one of the reasons that I try to encourage you to read it. Because I, I don't speak up here as a man that has some authority just based on what I'm saying. The only authority that I can speak come from comes from the Word of God. But I want you to make sure that I'm speaking from the Word of God. And I don't, and I, listen to this, I do not want you to believe one word I've said tonight because I've said it. Not one. Not one. If I've said something contrary to what you believe, if I ever say something contrary to what you believe, I want you to say, I, I don't want you to say, oh, well, pastor said it, so I guess that's it. No, 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 no. no. I want you to say, hmm, okay. Uh... I'm going to go study that out. I'm going to go look at that. Open-mindedly, you know, uh, it, 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 reminds me of the, it reminds me of the lady uh, that I, I hadn't seen her in many years, but, but I consider her and uh, her husband friends in, uh, out in Pukwana, South Dakota, when she had come and, and, and heard a friend of mine preach a funeral, and, and along the lines of preaching the funeral, he, he said there was no such thing as purgatory. That when you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell, and it depends on whether or not you put your faith and trust in Christ. The Bible says nothing about purgatory, he says. Well, this little Catholic girl sitting out in the congregation that day says, well, I know good and well it does. It's got to. I've been taught this my whole life. So first thing she does is she goes home and she starts searching through a Bible that she had on a shelf somewhere. Where is it at? I can't find it in here. And so she, she gets in touch and she's doing some research. Finally, she calls a, a friend of hers that she knew went, you know, went all the way through Catholic school, devout Catholic. She's like, she's like you, you wouldn't believe, I need your help. You wouldn't believe this. I heard this preacher the other day. He said there was no such thing as purgatory. And uh, just, can you help me? Because I'm having a hard time finding it. He said the Bible doesn't say nothing about it. And I want to go show. And she was, she was going to go knock on his door and say, here it is, buddy. Her name's Amy. And she's like, I'm going to go knock on his door and show that preacher he's wrong. He got up there and told all those people wrong. Her friend says, well, Amy, uh, really the Bible doesn't actually say anything about purgatory. We get that, and then you start talking about tradition, right? And you start talking about, uh, you know, these knuckleheads that, uh, that some people call church fathers and all that origin in this crowd. And, uh, and she says, oh, so the Bible doesn't. Well, I've been taught that my whole life. Here's Amy. I'm saying this because Amy's an honest seeker. Here, I, want, I want honest seekers. Disagree, but be honest. 
want to know the truth. I mean, uh, don't call yourself an atheist. At least call yourself an agnostic. But then be an honest enough agnostic to say that if there... Because an agnostic says, I can't know truth. But be an honest agnostic to say, well, if there is, if you could know the truth, would you want to know the truth? Well, sure. Okay. Well, that's a good step. See if you can search out the truth. I'm talking about Amy's honesty here, not just somebody that's just being a knucklehead and it's just like, nope, don't believe it, that's it. Don't be, don't be a, you're just being a fool, all right? You're being a, you're being a, from a biblical standpoint, you're being a fool. But here's what Amy did. She was an honest seeker. She was like, oh. And then another thought popped in her head, Ron, and she said, well, I wonder what else is in that Bible that I didn't know was in that Bible, and what else is not in the Bible that I was told was it? So instead of going knocking on the preacher's door and saying, by golly, I want to show you, instead of that, she came to the preacher's door, knocked on the door and said, I want to know what else. Amy sat there and got saved by the trust of Jesus Christ, got saved by the grace of God. Her husband, Justin, ended up getting saved by the grace of God. Their kids ended up getting saved by the grace of God. At least one of them went down to Pensacola Christian College. Uh, But it all started with somebody, because let me tell you, me nor that friend of mine would have ever ever stood up there, and if she would have come to him and said, where do you get off telling me this about purgatory? Would have never said, well, you just believe it because I said it. Don't you question me. I'm the minister, I'm the preacher, I'm the, don't you, you just believe it because I said it. No, 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 no. Go search it. Anything that's said, get in your Bible, read it, know it. I mean, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. All right? So, uh, that's the sole authority of Scripture. Man, I did it. I just got to do nine minutes on this other stuff. (laughs) Uh, No, I believe God was in that, I really do. Uh, even though it was uh, th- that was four words on my outline, okay, uh, it literally was. But uh, but number two, this 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 will be a good one. But but so but that's important. That's important to know. Why do y'all do that? Now that's not to say that we don't have traditions around here. Why do y'all have service at eleven? That's kind of late, you know. I mean, my goodness. Well, because uh, well, the Bible says we we believe the Bible is the sole authority, and the Bible says eleven o'clock. We have no no no. We have our traditions. You know, why do they do two songs and then a special and then the, you know, well, the Bible says, no, the Bible doesn't say, all right? We have our traditions, but the important thing about our traditions is we try to make sure that our traditions aren't going against the Word of God, aren't contrary to the Word of God. Our traditions fall in line with the principles within the Word of God. And let me just add this, there's never been a perfect church. We doing everything just right? I can assure you that we're not. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, I don't believe there has ever been a church that has. The very first churches in the New Testament weren't doing it right, 100%. Because there was a problem with those churches. Those churches, God chose in His wisdom to call sinful men to lead the church. Fallible men. He called sinful people to be within the church. And so guess what you have? You have people that we are striving and working and doing our utmost to make sure that we're functioning, uh, just uh, that we're functioning as a New Testament church. But I'm just telling you that I believe it's a work in uh, in progress. But here's the second thing. Here's two distinctives, important distinctives I'm sharing with you about a New Testament church tonight. Um, 
And, and you'll notice I, I'm intentionally not saying Baptist. Uh, Baptist started, Baptist definitely came from a line of New Testament churches. And I'm not, should I go down that road? Let's say no. Thank you, Dan. Um, but, uh, and, and, and you spoke before Melanie could speak up. But, uh, all right, uh, getting back, I'll back, get notes. All right, here I go. Uh, but I'm not talking about Baptist tonight because just because something says Baptist on the sign don't mean anything. And I'll add something else to that. Just because it don't have Baptist on the side don't necessarily mean anything. Uh, there, there, that's a whole other story, but like Dan said move on and I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to take his counsel. All right, and Melanie agrees. The autonomy of the local church is the second distinctive, okay? So these are important. These are super, super important. I'm not getting to the, uh, you know, the rest of my notes tonight, but these two are still super important and foundational about laying the foundation, what we're talking about. Number one, the sole authority scripture. Number two, the autonomy. The autonomy of a local church. Autonomy. What's that mean? I'm asking you because I'm not sure. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, as an apostle, Paul had, a, had unique authority to speak into the local churches. Uh, in other words, we see somebody kind of from the outside that's speaking into these local churches. But that's a little bit different too. Again, he's number one, he's an apostle, which also means that he is often speaking by revelation. In other words, when we read the words that Paul wrote down, not everything Paul said was the word of God, but what he recorded for us, these epistles, they are the word of God. So uh, what I'm talking about now is the autonomy of a church, a church functioning within itself, without the outside um, influence. Paul had an influence that spoke into these churches. I'm just thinking of a couple of biblical examples. Um, there's another example of, uh, of the Council of Jerusalem uh, that gathered to discuss whether or not Gentiles needed to convert to Judaism before they got saved. But again, this council in Jerusalem was mostly made up of apostles, and they were just trying to have a discussion, and really they weren't going to go infringe this necessarily on a particular church, but the idea was uh, there, there was the thought since, remember, the first church was made up primarily of Jews because it was, uh, you know, Jesus was a Jew. The word was delivered through Jews. The Bible says to the Jew first. That's who God was working through. But it was meant to be to the whole world. And so all these Jews had already followed God's law and become Jews. They were all circumcised the eighth day and they did all these things. Um, And then they heard the gospel and were saved. And so some of them were just like, well, shouldn't the Gentiles have to follow the same path? Should they convert to Judaism? And, and, and of course, the Spirit of God had already revealed to the Apostle Paul, absolutely not. Uh, and can I just add, add a super cool thing right there, too? Because this, again, is very applicable to, like, church business and stuff. Super cool. Paul was already standing up in people's face, Dan, about this. These guys do not have to be circumcised. They do not have to convert to Judaism. It's by grace through faith. We were saved by grace through faith. Paul had no questions about this. But then he goes to the Jerusalem council. And you know what he does? He doesn't go in there, you know, slamming guys up against the wall, you know, and kicking James in the shin and choking out, uh, you know, some other dude over here. No. He comes in and they have a discussion about it. And James is like, well, do they? I mean, it makes sense that they, they would have to convert to Judaism. I mean, after all, they, they start, and they have a discussion about it. And it's just cool to me that Paul comes in with a humble spirit, gracious, let's talk it out. Paul already knew what God said. 
but Paul was willing to have a conversation about it still. But the point that I'm trying to make is this was a council that was trying to make a decision on behalf of the greater churches. But here's where I'm coming into the autonomy of the church, and this will be somewhere along here where we wrap up. Um, And give an invitation, because I know you're all under conviction right now about this stuff. But um, other than these two exceptions, the government of each church was within each church. That's That's the point I'm making of the autonomy of the local church. The government of the church was the church. In other words, in each epistle, churches are instructed to handle their own business. Nowhere in the New Testament, I'm talking about things that are definitive. We, there's some things that we have questions about, but there's some things we don't. Soul authority scripture, all time with the church. There's no in there, nowhere in there to where Paul got a hold of some council or some headquarters somewhere and said, okay guys, you better get down there to that church and straighten them up. No, the church, it was all within the church, the autonomy of each local church. That's what you see. Churches that are not, biblically speaking, churches are not to be controlled by outside forces. Much of the denominational structure started with the best of intentions. Uh, I think Baptist is a very good example of that. Uh, Not everything called a Baptist is the same. And, and, And what Baptist is supposed to mean is kind of what I'm explaining to you tonight. It's supposed to mean the sole authority of Scripture, and so forth. But that's not what it means just because somebody calls themselves that, okay? Um, But what happened through the years was you get a group of churches like ours. We're trying to plant churches, and we're trying to reach people for the gospel. And somebody gets together and says, you know what? This would be a lot easier if we got a little bit more organized with this stuff. Let's just get a little bit more organized. And rather than this guy going off over here, let's kind of get kind of a... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Let's get kind of a convention together. And then now, you know, rather than than Ryan having to, between him and Abby, just figure out God wants them to go start this church somewhere, but rather than them having to do that, you know what, and and figure out how they're going to make it, man, we've got a convention of a bunch of other churches. We'll just give them the money to go do it. We'll we'll build them a building. We'll do the whole. So, like, and, and those aren't bad things that I'm talking about right here. But what began to happen over the years is all of a sudden, the, the, these conventions, I'm just talking about what happened within Baptists. I don't know as much about some of the other denominations. But what happened within some of the Baptists was it went from just assisting to all of a sudden being an authority and controlling and, and saying what could be taught and what materials could be used within the church and what missionaries you can support. Uh, and, and what you do with your money. And then pretty soon, remember, these big... Uh, now all of a sudden, these, these that used to be helpful conventions of people just trying to assist, well, now they've got a big headquarters, and they've got offices, and they've got to get paid. So now we're going to take a percentage of your... So this local church, people work here, bring in, give to this church. Well, we're, we've got to take percentage of that to go pay. You know, Can you imagine that? I would hate to think that, I, that, that money... That, that I was given to God for the cause of Christ was going to fund uh, Wake Forest University or Baylor University. I'd hate it. Wouldn't you hate to think about that? I gave my money, man. I hope that, I hope that goes toward get help, helping that guy with his scholarship, that, that football player for a scholarship. Maybe some NIL, he can afford beer and a party and everything else, and it would be just great to have Wouldn't that be awful? I'm just, I'm just telling you, that's how at least some of the denominational structure gathered at least within the Baptist church over the years. Now, 
this does not mean that churches that are still operating under that model are just illegitimate. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, oh, this is a denominational church, you know, controlled by, that's not autonomous. It's just illegitimate. It's, I'm not saying that. God's still using many of these churches, and He has for, for a long time. But it just means that they are not being ideally led. So they're not illegitimate. They're just not ideal. Um, as we discussed last week, and this will be where we wrap it up, as we discussed last week, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The church has been bought by the blood of Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Bible re refers to the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. Who's the head of the church? Who's the head of this church? Who's the authority? That's right, it's Christ. Colossians 1.18, among other verses, and He's the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body. Here's the main thing I believe that, we're, that, that I'd like to wrap up on tonight. We have the Bible that declares the truth. We have the church, that, the, the, the church of God, the church that we're speaking about in Scripture is a church that was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Now wait a second. When we talk about the church, I don't know what image comes to your mind. But if the image comes to you, if, if the image of church, what comes to your mind, isn't the person sitting to the left and right of you, you're getting the wrong image of church. It's people. You know, one of the reasons that we have a, a, a challenge in the days in which we live, uh, the first century church, they weren't buying buildings and making, set, setting buildings aside for church buildings back in those times, okay? It's different. So we don't have that. But, 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 but the, 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 the point is, is that the church is people. The church was purchased with the blood of Jesus. Now, you can become a member of a church and call yourself a member of a church, this church included, but that does not mean that you're necessarily a Christian. Alright? It doesn't necessarily mean that you have had your sins forgiven. The church of Jesus was purchased with the blood of Jesus. So to truly be a part, and we are a local church and, and, and understand that, but the thing that I guess I just want to emphasize is this. I want to make sure that you know that you're a part of Christ tonight. That's, that's the big reason that we don't make some big fuss about, you know, that, that you've got to be this, uh, a member of this church and have this title or the other one to, to, to be a Christian. No. You've got to know Jesus Christ. And when you accept Christ as Savior, what happens is you, you're accepting the fact that He paid the penalty of your sins on the cross by dying there and shedding His life's blood to pay for your sin, to pay for your forgiveness. Baptism, we don't accept that through baptism. We don't accept that through being a good person. We don't accept that by joining a church. We accept that by faith when we see that Jesus died for me and the way I truly become a part of the church is by putting my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing and understanding that, that He shed His blood for me he died for me. He rose again the third day. He purchased the gift of salvation. He offers it to me today. And will I receive that gift or will I not? Many people choose to hold on to the religious side, you know. But that's not what it's about. It's about knowing Christ. 
It's about that which he has purchased with his own blood. So, let's all stand tonight, and uh, that's all I got to say about the New Testament pastor tonight. That was the title of the message. Uh, (laughs) We'll get to it. But hey, do you know Christ tonight? That's the question I'd ask you. If you don't, why don't you? If not, why not? Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying and, you know, I'm, I've always believed and blah, blah, blah. You know, well, that's, that's all wonderful, but, but, but the real question comes down to, man, there's a Savior that loves you and died for you. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows you by DNA, man. Listen, you, you, you are the work of His hands. And I'm telling you, He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to save you. He wants to radically change your life. He wants you to forgive you of your sins. Would you accept that forgiveness tonight? You could do so just with a simple prayer from the heart. Something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, would you pray with me if you you don't know him? If you haven't done so before. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again the third day. And Lord, I realize that you did that because that was the only way that I could be saved. And right now, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn to you now, Lord. Please come into my heart and my life and be my Savior. And Lord, I want to thank you because I'm not asking you for a sign and I'm not asking you for a feeling, but I want to thank you because based on your word, you said you would save me if I would call on your name. And you know, just saying a prayer like that from your heart, from the lips that may not add up to much, but from the heart... That can be how simple it is to receive the wonderful grace of God. Amen.